1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is believe. Sorry, it hasn't been a minute since we've done one of these, but circumstances and other things happen. But I'm joined by a sports talk legend, a play by play legend. And he's back in sports talk again at WNSR from two to four weekdays. I'm speaking today with George Blaster on my podcast. And for you, when did sports, in particular broadcasting, really take hold for you?
0: I kind of knew really early. I mean, I knew by about age 12 that this was something I was really going to pursue. And I guess the best thing I can say for me is that I never let anybody talk me out of it. Um, And, you know, all these years later, I've never regretted that at all. Uh, I consider myself really fortunate that I've gotten to do what I call the toy department of life for a long time. And in that respect, God has really blessed me uh, to be able to do what I've done all these years.
1: I went back on the YouTube wormhole a little bit. to uh, Try to catch you on some of your work. And I remember hearing the Carl P and the May, Carl P and the P team with you being. <laughs>
0: You're going back away.
1: Yeah, I am. Because I'm like, whoa, Plas did sports updates with Carl P and the P team. Now, this brings up the following question. What was that zoo crew like on KDF back in the 80s when you were doing just sports
0: updates? Well, I had worked uh, in that building, uh, a gentleman named Paul Lyle uh, in 1978. I was a freshman at Vandy. Oh, and Paul Paul somehow thought I had something you know, that, that was going to make it. And he hired me and in that building was a small AM station, WKDA. And of course the, the, at the time, the rock and roll powerhouse KDF. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got to know Carl P and, you know, he and I always, um, we both got a crazy (laughs) sense of humor. We both liked to laugh. (laughs) And so he and I hit it off. And one day he said, what would you think about doing uh sports on my show? And and I just jumped at it. I mean, now, you know, you threw the word legend around pretty loosely a few minutes ago. Carl P is a legend.
1: Yes. He's definitely that. I, th- I think he
0: had uh Mike the Duke Donnegan, who's the Titans PA voice still. He sure did. Mike Mike gave me my first uh my first uh job out of uh, out of college no way yeah
1: now being around a carl p a
0: mike the duke donegan
1: and others you were you know at the time being taught being able to sit under the learning tree of radio slash broadcasting what were the attributes you wanted to Take from each one, but use as your
0: own as you move forward in your career. Oh, I don't know. Was that, Luther? I don't know that I was smart enough to think any of that kind of stuff. But I will tell you this: the uh, the guy that probably influenced me as much as anybody was the 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 country legend Ralph Emery. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I was I, I was allowed to be the sports <coughs> guy on the old Waking Crew. Mm -hmm. And that was in the early 80s. The Waking Crew was a live band show, uh, probably the only one of its kind around the country. And Ralph was the host of it. And to watch Ralph go out into a crowd where he knew absolutely nobody and to be able to carry a conversation Mm -hmm. with people for 10 to 15 minutes on the air, it just blew my mind. And that was such a great teaching tool for what I was about to get into. Um, and, and so you know, now that's kind of what I do. You know, I talk to people over the years on a daily basis that I may not know, but I've been coming into their home or, or their car for who knows how long. And uh, Ralph, Ralph just taught me a lot about how to how to interview people, you know, how to how to deal with people you don't know what questions to ask that sort of, you know, um, are the icebreaker. He was the best at it I've ever seen.
1: So, after you worked with Roth Emery, you worked with Carl P and the P-team, well, Carl P and his P-team, when did Sports Night and sports and then i guess later on play-by-play come into the mix
0: well the play-by-play had always been there and i got lucky uh in that i had a backer that was unbelievable cm newton who's you know at that time when i first met him was vanderbilt's basketball coach yeah. right? and later became kentucky's athletic director Mm -hmm. And so I got the chance to be a division one play by play announcer at a ridiculously early age. Now I thought my tapes were good enough, but I also knew that coach Newton could open doors that I could never open. I I could never repay the debt. Um, You know, of all the things he did for me, all the times I would pick up the phone and say, coach Newton, this job's open. Do you know anybody And he always knew somebody Uh, he was absolutely amazing in that respect and and really the sports talk thing kind of happened by accident Uh, i came home after a year in memphis i was kind of homesick even though i love doing the games as memphis states play-by-play announcer um, I, i really wasn't happy down there i came back home without a job my parents were furious with me and Duncan Stewart kind of offered me a little bit of a lifeline to be a, a sports talk show host, which at the time I thought was kind of stupid. And I turned him down a couple of times. And th- this shows how dumb I am. Little did I know that this was going to open a door for the next 30 years that was going to feed me. And um, and it was going to be incredible fun. Um, you know, I think I've been treated as well, if not better, than any sports talk show host. Um, I kind of got in on the ground floor of it uh, in Nashville. And to be honest, around the country, around 1990, there really were not a lot of sports talk shows. KMOX in St. Louis was one that did it, 3WE out of Cleveland, with the guy I consider the godfather of sports talk radio, Pete Franklin. But really, there were not a lot of others doing it. Now and you I look think around.
1: WFA, I think WFAN at the time was doing it too. Yeah. With, uh, same my kind dog.
0: of deal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess it's just being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good.
1: So, answer me this: At the University of Memphis at the time, Memphis State. Did you say that you had a three person broadcast crew with you, the late Jackie and the late Paul Hartledge who was taken way too young with cancer, by the way.
0: Yeah, no, it was I actually that they got rid of Jack. Oh, I man. replaced Jack. It was me, uh, the late Paul Hartledge and mm-hmm. Lee Fowler in a three man basketball crew. And to be honest, um, that decision made no sense whatsoever. No. Uh, three people in basketball is about one to one and a quarter people too many. And that's almost guy, like having to
1: go a three-person booth with football, which is almost impossible.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, y- you can you can do it better in football. It's easier. In basketball, especially if your team is pretty up-tempo, you've got no chance at making that work.
1: So was Paul basically color or was Lee Fowler color and Paul did, you know, the halftime stuff and he just fit in where he could get in, Well, in the three man booth.
0: In all honesty, unless I were to go back and listen to a tape all these years later, I'm not sure what we were doing. We were running a Chinese fire drill and Lee was the guy that needed to be the, the basketball color announcer it just was it, it was a tough deal. It was tough on Paul. It was tough on me. And, and the thing that maybe I didn't appreciate at the time, I was replacing Jack Eaton, who had been a legend down there for 30 years, and he was still in the television business at the time. And one of the things that, that I really didn't understand was Memphis didn't really appreciate the fact that somebody from Nashville got hired. That was probably their biggest gripe on me, and that caught me totally off guard. I had no idea the level of feeling there was there in Memphis about Nashville.
1: So then you get the Vanderbilt gigging to work with John Grummo for a while, then you have your Carl Anderson basketball, Willie Donick, who's gone on to do pretty well for himself as voice of the Predators.
0: Sure has
1: used to do radio and he was with you for a long period of time on sports.
0: Well, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm really proud of Willie. Uh, I'm also pretty happy because I was the guy that sort of plucked Willie, you know, out of thin air. And, um, you know, I hope I was a halfway decent teacher. Uh, He's going on to do some great things. I'm really proud of him. Who was
1: was your analyst at that time? Or did Willie come on from day one with you for basketball? Just out of curiosity.
0: Ron Bargatze did the first year. uh, Then Willie stepped in. Gromos, uh, I was allowed to pick John Gromos. And Gromos and I played on uh, on a City League basketball team together. And I remember talking to John about it and, you know, trying to gauge his interest. And, um... You know, we just had a really good time. Uh, it, it's, I think it's really important that the people you work with in a play-by-play setting are people you enjoy dealing with, uh, not only on the mic, but off the mic, because you travel together an awful lot.
1: Coach B, he did a couple of tours of Andy basketball color because he came back and Joe Fisher was doing pull up play at the time before Tim Thompson took it over.
0: Nobody knows more about bandy basketball than Ron <laughs> Um it, He's an amazing um, resource, an amazing wealth of knowledge. He's been a great friend to me, and the year we got to work together was just a blast, and I always knew it would be.
1: And, and I think he was in sports talk for a while too. Coach
0: he was, was. He did a uh, he did a morning show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but Coach B's biggest strength is his love of basketball, uh, like me. He's he's a guy that just enjoys going to a game and sitting and watching, you know, two teams uh, go at it. Now, how
1: good was some of the basketball conversation when you weren't on the air like if you had a question about like not really a primer for basketball but maybe like a refresh course you forgot what you know pick and rolls were and so on and so forth how often would you lean how often do you lean on your analyst for things like that like a well coach with, B or other coaches like
0: that yeah with coach b i had known him since i was 10 years old i went to to Vanderbilt's basketball camp as a little kid, which is where we got to know each other. Wow. The fun would be when we would be driving to a game. When we did we did OVC uh Monday night television together and we'd drive to a game and man, some of those conversations, um you know, you you could put those on tape and sell them because they were just incredible I, loved, I would have yeah, loved to
1: have been a bit of fly on the wall for those.
0: Yeah. And I mean You know, there were times where Willie early in his career got a chance to listen in on some of those, depending on where we'd be going. And uh, they just were a lot of fun. And we'd get into hypothetical arguments about, you know, this team or that team. Um, it, It just was that that was so much fun.
1: I think, isn't he, isn't Coach B doing uh, the golf course thing now? I think, or something. Or? Well, he,
0: he's doing a little bit of everything. I had him, um, I had him come on once a week, uh, this past basketball season. And it's just like, you know, picking right <laughs> up off of, uh, you had, we you did. had
1: Greg Maddox, you had CPA head coach, who was a very class act. I've met him at least once. Very class act for for CPA basketball. And then go Tim Thompson, who has been Vandy's color analyst for basketball for, what, 22, 23 years? Hard to believe. I, I lost count.
0: Well, T- Tim's another great friend. Um, we were in school together. He's a little bit older th- than I am by, I don't know, two or three years. But, right. you know, we hit it off. Uh, we got to know each other. We were both at Vandy. And we've stayed close friends all these years. He's another one that I love. Picking his brain on, you know, certain strengths and weaknesses of teams. Um, Tim knows basketball big time.
1: And you call you call most of dramatics basketball games with. um, Oh, who was that team you had? A team of Prater at the point. If my math is correct.
0: Yeah, we had Austin Bates and Billy Spaltra and Drew. Yep. Yeah. Remember that bunch.
1: So what was doing the pregame shows with Coach Van Bredikoff and uh, Coach Fogler and other coaches you've dealt with in your career, especially when you had to do the pregame interview, especially when you know coaches are just flat paranoid with the third or fourth estate, the media, to get information and thoughts from the coach?
0: It it really was... Yeah, it really was never that way uh, for me. I, I think I've always had a great relationship with coaches because I think they come to understand that if there's certain things they don't want on the air, then I'm not going to put them on the air. Right. And it was one of the ways that Kevin Stallings and I became such good friends because he knew that he could bounce things off of me, get an opinion, You know, as a former Vandy announcer talking to a Vandy coach, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one of the few things I've ever gotten right in broadcasting is that there are certain times where if somebody tells you, look, you can't use this on your show, I've always honored that request. And I think for that reason, I've always had really good relationships with coaches.
1: Okay, thank you for bringing this up because this is a follow-up question to this. How long as a play-by-play voice, as a sports talk host, and even when you stepped away from the limelight of being a sports talk host and a play-by-play voice with Belmont, with your job that you had there, how long did it take you to build up trust with the people that either you were around or... Who were around you to make sure that they could real they could count on you to basically keep you know their things that they wanted off record off record.
0: Um, you know I I don't know I guess you know with each individual person it's different, uh, but they all come to to realize that you know that you can trust them. Or, or they can trust you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, like with Kevin Stallings, I was never his announcer at Vandy. Right. But, um, you know, we just hit it off. Tim Thompson was the one who actually introduced us. We, we really didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And as conversations started going, uh, I wasn't afraid to ask Kevin his opinion Mm-hmm. About things that had nothing to do with basketball, <laughs> um, you know, things that were going on in my world, and uh, I mean, I found him to be an incredible friend, um, a guy whose advice was spot on at times. Man, uh, just a great friend, and and still a great friend, that, uh, even though he's out of coaching. But mm-hmm. I think with with each one of these, it's just a a deal where. You know, they have to figure out, you know, can they trust you and vice versa? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just sort of move on.
1: Let's go to a little bit of game prep here. When you were doing a play-by-play with Vanderbilt, with Memphis, I think your last broadcast was, what, Belmont, I guess?
0: Well, what what's happened is that uh, with all the shuffling that's gone on, I've agreed to do Belmont's games, um, you know, from from now to the end of the season.
1: Yeah, since Kevin Ingram resigned, uh, to that I I saw that yesterday. I wasn't sure how that was going to go, and. I guess they're going to be online only because 560 is like crowded and the zone, they don't carry many Belmont games. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to catch you on the broadcast for those.
0: Well, it's a, it's like you said, an internet deal where you go to BelmontBruins.com. The, I,
1: I tried to the, find their live link, but I couldn't find it on BelmontBruins.com. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm probably the last person you need to ask because technologically, <laughs> I think we both know. Uh, sometimes I can be in the dark ages. Anyway, well, at the, least you made it here. So, yeah, how about that? How About it. So but. you you were about to ask me something, and I interrupted you. And no, I apologize. You're good. You're,
1: I mean, because I was going to ask you about like because I didn't know you were going to actually go back to doing actual PXP work again. So with everything from when you started to now with all the technology and things like that, has anything changed in your game prep for doing an actual broadcast or is it still the same nuts and bolts when you were doing the actual games till you stepped away from it? Now that you're coming back for a second time with MoMA to do it again.
0: Uh, No, it hadn't changed at all. I'm, I'm, First of all, I'm kind of old school. Uh, I'm probably not the guy that's going to break out a lot of technology. I like I, old I had school. A friend of mine, I had a friend of mine give me a score sheet in basketball forty years ago, and it's the same score sheet I'm using today, oh, because wow. it's like I told uh, uh, a couple of young people getting in in this business. You know, I've gotten through SEC. Mm. I've gotten through ACC. Which th- was tech TV. Yeah, this, this, uh, this score sheet in basketball has stood the test of time. and uh, But he, here's the thing. You know, I, mine is not the only method to do it. I bet if you if you ask 10 different play-by-play announcers, they've all got different ways that they go about skinning the cat. Mm-hmm. And all I would say to somebody young getting in the business is, do whatever works for you. Not necessarily what works for me. Now, I may teach uh, because, I, you know, I, I certainly have tried to pass on uh, to younger announcers how I've gone about doing it. But I always tell them, look, don't just do it because I tell you to do it. Uh, you know, figure out what works for you, what's comfortable, what, you know, what system when you get on the air, can you find the material that you need at the time you need it?
1: I mean, I can give you a perfect example, I mean, with me being blind, the only thing I can do here is, you know, at the high school level, get both rosters, make sure I'm, you know, correct on pronunciation and hope and pray that I do the best job I possibly can, because I don't have a, I mean, they have a person keeping the stat book, but they don't have like everything that I can say, okay. So, I mean, I just get what I can, the, the relevance numbers that I'm going to need from the scores table. And of course, having a spotter helps. So, so, that, oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I can't even imagine the obstacles that you fight through to do what you're doing. And, you know, I, I don't even, I can't even fathom what you're trying to do, but I know this. It's pretty amazing. I do the best I can. I mean, there's, you know,
1: people are like, oh, how do you do this? And I'm like, hey. I do the best I can with what I have and whatever I can get. I hope and pray it's going to be enough. And as long as I can get a good broadcast, I'm okay. Yeah. After that, if my broadcast stuff can't stand on its own two feet and it's you know can't stand on its own face value, either a I'm not doing a good enough job and I need to improve on it, or they're stuck in their own they're stuck in their own little box and they know what they want. It's not, and basically, I'm not what they want. I don't fit there. one of the gotcha. two yeah but <laughs> i mean you and i had this conversation on your show when you were talking about like old school broadcasters and broadcasters we enjoy if you remember that conversation a while back on your sports Talk do. show, when basically do. it was nothing to do and we just you just got into you know your favorite broadcasters who you liked and why i kind of want to bring that back a little bit if you don't mind sure what and you and i can agree on this that i i pretty much enjoy more of a radio broadcast than i do a tv broadcast any day of the week because for me it's like i don't mind tv but it feels but is radio for me it's just better because you get more. you get more description if the broadcasters are actually doing their job
0: and I've actually painting told, the picture. Yeah, Luther, I've always told young broadcasters that they need to start out trying to do radio. In, in TV, the play-by-play announcer is kind of a game manager. Yep. They basically give you, you know, Jones has 15 and the lead is six, where in radio, you got to give them more of the, Top of the key to the right wing, they get it down low into the block. You gotta paint the whole picture. And to be honest, uh you think a lot of
1: announcers fail at that? Sorry to cut you off, but for me, I think a lot of broadcasters fail at painting the picture.
0: Well, I think a lot of them, first of all, you're you're dead on right. Uh it's either kind of a laziness, or, or what you get now a lot are TV guys that get thrown into radio settings. Exactly. Who have no idea what they're doing. And I'd say the only exception
1: to that would be a possible, since it does a national championship every year on radio, the last few years I've listened to the national call, and the basically SEC Saturday Night Crew on ESPN has been Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge or, you know, or whoever is with him with the color. And I will say, I think Sean McDonough does a good job at transitioning from TV to radio. Even though even though there's a lot of things that I like to see him do a little bit better at, but, you know, just the way he sets the scenes and does all the situations and things like that, radio-wise, he does a very good job at it.
0: I'm not surprised. I think he's one of the underrated... Talents that's out there, um, and I'll give you another one who I think's really underrated is Dan Shulman Oh, tell me about Dan it. Shulman is at the absolute top of the the play by play tree, and yet when you throw that name out, you know I like him better. People don't even know who he is,
1: George. Do you really want to know the truth about it? I like him better on radio than on TV. I mean, I love the way he does baseball on the radio.
0: Yeah, he's really I good. love
1: the way he does it. It's not, you know, shove stuff in your face. It's not coming at you hard. It's nice and easy, and it's broadcast you can actually, you know, catch on to. Same thing with a Dave O'Brien, who used to be on the radio side with the Atlanta Braves back in the day that you know very well.
0: That's where I got to know Dave. Uh what a what an amazing talent he is. No kidding. With as Larry Munson used to say to me, he's got the greatest pipes in the world, yes, sir. <laughs> hey, look,
1: oh, we you and I can go down the broadcast list all day long. Dave O'Brien, a Ron Franklin, who you did have interview, and I wondered what happened to that guy. But the day you had him on, I'm like, yep, he did well on radio as well with the Mike Godfrey. I thought they were a great
0: crew, they were kind of the first. ESPN Saturday Night Crew.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought they I, were terrific.
1: I loved them when they did the national championship because they had Mike Godfried, Ron Franklin, and I can't remember who the
0: uh, sideline. Adrian Carston. Uh yes, was their sideline guy.
1: I don't remember him doing. I don't remember him on the sideline for the championship game on radio. What I do remember was it was Godfried and Franklin. I remember that. And basically, you know, even if it was a blowout, they would find a way to at least keep it entertaining. But I love those two as a broadcast team on Radio Zag, especially just for the national championship game. And, I, and you know, I got I to gotta give it up to Brent Musburger, too, who is the current radio voice of the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm like, wow, Brent doing radio again? All right. Thank you. Life is complete. <laughs> Now that Brent Musburger on the radio side and not on TV, working with Lincoln Kennedy on Raider Radio through Compass Media, and here's the thing—you're still know, looking
0: was, live at somewhere.
1: Yeah, actually, I think he's changing. He's like, you are listening live. I think he's changing it since he slid over to the radio booth.
0: Good for him.
1: <laughs> he doesn't. And the thing is, the Vegas Raiders radio network do not even have a sideline guy. It's just him and Kennedy. Yeah. And here's a question, now that I think about it, is it better to not have a sideline guy? Because I know when you did the games with Gromos, you guys didn't even have.
0: Oh, no, actually we did. Really? Uh, it was Willie.
1: Oh. Because I remember on more yeah. than one occasion it was just you and Gromos. I'm like, okay. Is that is that the two man booth? Because I'm like, okay. No, mean- it
0: was actually uh it was actually Willie. Ah okay. And, and that was a scenario where I was allowed to pick basically who I wanted to work with, uh, which was really nice. And that's what ended up happening.
1: And the Memphis Tiger Network has done that for a while because for a while it was, you know, the current radio voice, gave Voloshan, his sideline guy was his basketball analyst, Matt Dillon. They've been together for a, for a pretty good minute too. So it's an interesting concept that the basketball color analyst – would also be sidelined, but I think that's changing out there Greg Gaskin for the home games.
0: and Well, have- the, the truth of it is, Dave should have gotten the play-by-play job when I got it. He and I laugh about it from time to time when we run into each other. Well, Ocean, uh, I'm I'm a big Dave will Ocean fan. Oh, I like. That. I mean, he
1: he and I, he and I will you know depending on what his schedule is, we'll text back and forth. We'll you know talk from time to time and talk about different stuff sometimes heck you he can even talk about life I even had him on this podcast by the way I don't know if they got a chance to listen to that interview that was some entertaining stuff well, even, really He good. even um, a lot of stuff I didn't even know yeah when he when he did the tv side for Memphis basketball I'm like whoa because I always you know think of him as more of a radio guy and always forget that there's more than one occasion that they'll have him
0: slide over to TV for baskets well, the,
1: in non-con.
0: It, first of all, the, the basketball is incredibly important down there. Mm-hmm. For all of the, the good stuff that's going on in football, that's a basketball school, and it'll always be. Yep. And people really appreciate uh, the basketball. When I got there, they had a very popular tape delay replay and a buddy of mine john albright was the the color announcer and you know they 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 had really good numbers on those replays it's it's harder now to make that work because you've got so many games live Mm -hmm. that it doesn't make a lot of sense no but back then man that was a that was a big time popular deal in that city so answer me this
1: when you working with Paul and Lee Fowler. Who were the guys that you remember that just jumped right off the page and out of the building when it was hoop hoop season? And I think, were you there when Penny Hardaway, who's now the current Memphis Tech grad coach, did you call any of his stuff?
0: No, I I was three years uh, before he got to college, but one of my best buddies down there, John Wilfong, took me to see Hardaway uh, one night in a high school game. I had never heard of him at that point. Right. And when I saw him, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, at, you know, as a, as a whatever he was, sophomore in high school, oh my God, he was better than anything I'd ever seen. It was unbelievable.
1: What did he bring When you saw him at high school, that's like, whoa, Memphis is getting somebody special here.
0: Well, at that point, they didn't know they were getting him. Right. So there was a big recruiting war going on about him. But you could just see, good Lord, his his passing ability, his ability to see the court, you know, unlike anybody I'd ever really seen on the high school level. It, It was just stunning. And, uh, I mean, look, you didn't have to be red R back to <laughs> sit there and say, man, this guy is going to be something. Mm-mm. You it,
1: it didn't take a rocket time. To just put two and two together. No. <clears throat> Did you by happen chance work with Bob Rush, who was the longtime radio color analyst for Tiger football? Or were you just there for basketball? at that point did I lose you yeah I was just asking did you by happen did you work with um long-time Memphis Tiger football color analyst Bob Rush or were you just there for basketball
0: no um let me think here my year Paul Hartledge was my color guy Mm -hmm. and a young tv guy named Glenn uh Glenn Carver Mm.
1: And was that the season where WMC Action News 5, where they had that fire and most of the video stuff got destroyed? Or was that after you had left? I think we lost him. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not hearing your signal. be
0: considered
1: george you're gonna have to start all that back over because i yeah, lost it you were you were at the you were talking about a young tv guy and then all of a sudden just like i didn't hear anything else afterwards
0: okay um what ended up happening memphis i guess uh, awarded their radio rights to a, a different station wmc in memphis had had their games forever and all of a sudden a country music station Kix 6106 106 took it over mm-hmm. and to be honest they wanted kind of a new you know here's the new station here's the new sound and i just happened to be you know at that point a guy that was starting to you know get a reputation that you know i knew how to do play by play and that kind of thing yep. and they took a chance on me and i guess the rest is history
1: and then at let, I think Paul Hartlidge slid into the play-by-play chair, and man.
0: He did. Now, what a lot of people don't know was I was offered the job back a month after I resigned, and I did a smart thing. I probably didn't know it was the smart thing to do at the time, right. I told the president of the school when I met with him about a month later, I said, look, you need an announcer that wants to be here. And that's not me, you know. I'm going to have one foot headed toward Nashville, and Memphis State deserves better than that. And it's nothing and against that's where Paul
1: Hartler's come into play.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because I remember hearing him in his later years, and then he, you know, when he started to have the health issues, and then John Kosky took it over. And then when he passed away, then Dave basically slid over to radio, and he's been
0: ensconced in radio ever since. Yeah, and since Dave Dave was the Dave was the obvious person to have that job. He's just really good. He's very smooth. Now
1: he told me.
0: Now I don't know if he mind me
1: sharing this, but I think he said that Paul basically said, "When I'm gone, I want you to take it over so you can keep the radio
0: tradition going." I'm like, wow. Yeah, I don't that's, doubt that's, that, that because they were very close.
1: That that's that's a pretty high blessing from a guy that you know had done had been with the program, the broadcast. You know, with the broadcasts and yeah. the athletic programs on TV, and then having to slide over to radio. I didn't ask him this, but. It seemed like the transition was pretty easy for him.
0: Well, it, it sure helped that Dave – Dave had a talk show in Memphis. He was well-respected, mm-hmm. and he just was the natural to step in. Mm-hmm. And they were very fortunate that they had somebody like that in the bullpen that could come in and make it, you know, pretty much a seamless trans transition. That doesn't always happen. I think Bob rush
1: was – and I think Bob Rush was still at the color analyst spot. He was with color, doing color for football forever. Because The years that I listened to it, and I still do, but Bob Rush was probably the best color analyst who explained things and why they work, why either it worked or why it didn't work like it was supposed to.
0: Yeah, he listen, he was really good, uh, but you got to remember, At 26, I was in no position to be saying, "Okay, here's here's who I want to work with or who's here's who I don't want to work with, blah, blah, blah. Um, Although I I, I will say this, I did sort of force the issue that I got Lee Fowler into the basketball, which was a really (laughs) smart thing. Lee is exceptionally good at that.
1: And I, I, I know you have Lee Fowler coming on, what? You have him come on, what, Wednesdays or Tuesdays to talk? Uh, yeah, I on mean,
0: athletics it's just sort of whenever, um, you know, something warrants it. And Lee has been really generous with his time. It's been great to have him back here uh, to be able to renew, you know, a friendship that goes back 35 years. I mean, he's the reason. He's the reason I got the interview to begin with to wow. try to go after the job and uh so it's just been great having him him uh, and carol back here
1: <laughs> and i know you guys lost what um who was it not too long ago i saw on facebook rick uh, region i guess not too long ago i saw that on facebook and i'm like wow and all the compliments you guys told about him and the save the predators thing and sports fest and Rick was far, Rick was how one how of my. How far does that go back?
0: Well, Rick, Rick uh, losing losing him as a friend has really mm-hmm. hurt. This is this happened sure. about a month ago, and mm-hmm. first of all, uh, the Titans would not be here if it were not for the work that Rick Region and all the group that represented NFL Vote Yes did. Uh, was that, that was that
1: also when Bill Frist was on that team as well as the mayor or governor at that point here? That worked. On uh,
0: that? You know, this was <laughs> this was 1996.
1: Yeah, I think um, Frist was there. I think at that time.
0: Whatever the case, the mm-hmm. the before Rick and his group stepped up, the referendum was going to lose around 60-40. And by the wow. time they got to the point where the actual, um, you know, election day happened, it ended up going 60-40 the other way. Wow. And then 11 years later, when I got involved in trying to see to it that the Predators would stay here, I kind of roped Rick into uh, into a little bit of my <laughs> mess. I thought turnaround ought to be fair play. And over the years, not only was he a neighbor, we lived like four doors down from each other. We talked.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like you guys worked in pretty good tandem with each other over the years on a lot of stuff. Uh Uh-oh, did I lose him again? Uh Uh-oh. at a time oh boy yep it dropped.
0: hey luther are you there
1: yep i'm right with you sorry i think your signal dropped so but it it seemed like you and rick worked on a lot of things in tandem together
0: oh yeah gosh we uh we kept the clinic bowl alive about 6 years longer than it had a right to uh, to happen rick had been the chairman of the clinic bowl back in 1988 and that was something that was really near and dear to his heart anytime i did the sports festival i always had rick in the middle of it he just uh he loved nashville and he loved sports in nashville and It was so cool the day of his funeral service. They did a graveside service. Wow. And to see so many of his friends in a pandemic turn Mm -hmm. out. I mean, I think he would've, first of all, I think he'd have been thrilled that that many people cared and uh, he deserved that. He really did.
1: Mm. How big were your parents? and maybe influencing you on allowing you to chase what you wanted to chase after.
0: Yeah, they were huge. I mean, they certainly weren't the ones that pushed me to do it. That was sort of me pushing myself, but I always knew that they weren't going to let me fall in a gutter. And, uh, you know, for that, I mean, I'll always be appreciative there's not a day goes by that I don't think about my mom and dad, Mm. uh, miss them, you know, like, like anybody would. And, uh, they, they were, they were great people. Uh, they, they didn't have much to work with, but, uh, they made it work. They they did the, Hey, they did the best they could with what they had to work with.
1: Exactly. And that, (laughs) That, that and the most good strong most good strong homes, that's how it is.
0: They work with what they have and make it work. Well, I'll give you a for instance. Um I, I just uh I went out recently and bought a cassette tape player. Oh my. Well, you know, I I, I found one at Walmart. I've got all these tapes and they're all on cassette. <laughs> and you know, so I, I buy this tape player having no idea whether any of these tapes still work. And, you know, I I went down to the garage and, you know, it got kind of emotional as Mm. I started thinking about all the nights that my dad, who really was not a big sports fan at all, (laughs) would sit and tape my games. I mean, I don't think he was a big sports fan, but I think he was a big fan of mine. And, um, You know, I I could never say thank you enough.
1: What was it like actually going back besides being the emotional fad when you put your broadcasting hat on that when you went back and listened to them after getting the tape player? What did you feel like you, you know, maybe learned about yourself or maybe your keys and your takeaways, if you could revamp anything – of your broadcast that you would have liked to revamp if you could go back in time.
0: Not really. I mean, um, I, I just pulled a, a cassette out just for the hell of it <laughs> um, about a week ago um, because I wanted to see. First of all, when you're when you're trying to teach younger people the way to do something, you you know, at some point, first of all, they want to hear what you used to do Mm -hmm. and secondly they probably want to know if all this crap you're teaching them you actually did or is it just pie in the sky sure and i I was happy when i went back to the tape um i i plucked out just kind of out of thin air a tape of a vandy boston college basketball game
1: Uh, okay hold on let me see if i get this right here when you say boston college was that the longtime voice Ted Hernandez with how Evans on Boston, on the Boston college radio broadcasting? Honestly, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, honestly, I don't know. It was a basketball game in, uh, in their arena that, that's called the Conte forum. Yeah. I believe it and, was. Yeah. And we had had a, we had had a really bad snowstorm and we were <laughs> lucky to get in there period and we didn't play particularly well but anyway i just sort of plucked this tape out first of all i wanted to see if anything would come out of this cassette tape which has been sitting in my garage for god 25 30 years and the thing still played and you know it it taught me it taught me some things to just go back and listen to it um you know, I, I'm not Dick Enberg, but you can do a whole lot worse than me. Um, I guess that's that's where I'd put it. So,
1: what were the, like the best moments that you've covered
0: in your play-by-play career? Uh, say that again, if you will. I'll, I lost you there for a second.
1: As a play-by-play voice, how many special moments have you had the chance to cover, even if it may not have been like for a championship game, maybe like a player doing an individual feed or vice versa?
0: Yeah, probably not a lot, to be honest. Um, Because when I did Vandy, it was at a really low ebb in the mid-90s. So there wasn't a lot. I I would say it was more some of the places that I got to go. Uh, it was a real thrill to do a couple of games in the old ECAC Holiday Festival at Madison Square Garden. We played, uh, my Memphis State team played the eventual national champion, Kansas, and that was very cool. Uh, doing games at Freedom Hall in Louisville. Danny uh, Yeah, an old building that I loved. And Memphis State and Louisville hated each other.
1: And they still and so do, was, even though they yeah, don't play they, each other
0: anymore. Yeah, it was a very intense rivalry. Um, I, I'm trying to think of, of places that I've been that really that I really enjoyed the old Keel Center in St. Louis. Ah, uh, yes, the Keel. Yeah, the old one was. Uh, wow that that blew me away. I, I don't know that I really understood until I walked in what it was I was going to be getting.
1: Yeah, inside um, that with. With of course the late Dan
0: Kelly at the time, blues radio, yeah. blues radio voice, the the best hockey announcer probably. And I God didn't ever know
1: this. Earth. I didn't know Jack Buck actually narrated the highlights. Uh I didn't
0: know that either.
1: Well i I was in the YouTube wormhole one night. Okay, and you can find a lot of stuff on YouTube, but it was like blues of what was it. It wasn't the first season. It was after Jack, after you know they have Dan Kelly decided to take they brought in Dan Kelly to do the hot. and they had Jack Buck doing you know kind of a recap show with the with the Blues highlights and it was interesting how that actually sounded. I'm like, okay, the voice of the Cardinals of baseball, soon to be the hmm. voice of the Cardinals of baseball. Yeah, with he was working with Harry Carey at the time, this was number two. So he was doing a blues recap of playoff action with the Minnesota North Stars. Oh, wow. With Dan Kelly on the play by play. I don't remember. I don't remember who the color analyst was with Dan Kelly. I don't know if he had a color analyst or if he, well, he probably did, but I don't I remember who the guy was because <laughs> you normally know didn't hear the color analyst. So I'm like, whoa. There's like a two parter or something like that. It was like a, five-game series or, like, 19, what was it? I don't remember exactly what the year was, but you can find it on YouTube. It was really
0: interesting. Good stuff.
1: That, you know, that's why I like sports. Because you learn stuff, and you actually get to listen to some of the classic stuff of classic play-by-play voices.
0: Yeah, I think all of us that ever get in this business, sort of look back on on the people that were doing this before we were because Woody Durham. They yeah, they didn't have the internet. No uh you know, they didn't have a TV monitor, no to check out a replay. I mean, those guys they really did radio play by play and they actually had to do it off
1: of off of basically muscle memory.
0: Yeah. And uh and, and you're right about the the whole you know it's not what it used to be but TV's kind of seen to that because so many of the games now are on television that the radio uh, has become kind of a secondary deal Mm -hmm. but
1: who are some of your favorite broadcasters that you listened to growing up and how many of them have you actually gotten a chance to either A work with or B
0: meet in your career well, the, the guy that I thought was the best radio, the best baseball radio guy, period, was Jack Buck. Bingo. When Jack Buck turned on um, the emotion of a big play that the Cardinals made, there was never anybody better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is not meant as disrespect at Vin Scully, but Jack Buck's the best that's ever been. In, in radio oh, and, uh, just an amazing talent. If you go thing back, thing if I you will... go back 30, 35 years ago mm-hmm. to when Marty Brenneman started in Cincinnati, actually 46 years ago, I think is, is yeah, the yeah, actual seventy four. Yeah. And, and Marty be- became a good friend. We ended up meeting, in a in a strange deal where we were the only two people in the building in the old Cincinnati garden in 1988 his Cincinnati Bearcat team was about to take on my Memphis State team and I got up the nerve to go over and just say hey I've been listening to you for years <laughs> you are really good and you know I got a chance uh, about a year and a half ago when Marty announced that he was retiring, I sent mm. him a, a text message and it turned out he and his wife were coming through Nashville that morning and I met him for lunch and it was, it was just incredible. Andy worked does his longtime
1: broadcast partner, Joe Nuxall forever as well.
0: I never met Joe Nuxall, but I remember, um, <clears throat> One day, I, I, when I would go to Cincinnati, I, I would always make a point to go up and see Marty. And this was about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes before their broadcast mm-hmm. uh, started. And he and I were yucking it up. And Jeff Brantley walks in. He doesn't know who I am. And he goes, well, I gather you know Marty. And I said, yes. yep. I, I, I think it's fair to say we've, we've gotten past that part.
1: I will say this. Brantley has... You know, made the transition from TV to radio very well. So I remember the first time hearing him mostly on TV on ESPN. And I'm like, okay, he's, you know, he's a good ex because I know his guy explains pitching and things like that. But I think he's gotten better at doing actual play by play while still, when it's time for him to do color, explaining the game.
0: Well, you can take to the bank that he had a great teacher in Marty Brenneman, Mm -hmm. the thing, the thing I told Marty that, and and I really haven't talked to him since, since, you know, it all ended Mm -hmm. for him, but I told him, I said, you're going to feel a level of love that you're not going to believe. And he said, why do you think that? And I said, because you've been an invited guest into people's homes Mm -hmm. 162 times a year and not for five minutes but for three hours, I said, a lot of these people consider you to be a family member more than they do certain members of their family. They don't even like
1: the sa- the soundtracks of spring and summer.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, that was some of what we talked about that day at lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, you know, why do you think that? And I said, because I know I said, you are beloved, and I said you're about to uh, you're about to feel a level of appreciation and love, uh, you know, in that tri-state area that would carry Reds games that that is going to blow your mind, and, I, and I'm sure it did.
1: Oh, I I still remember when he did his final speech. I mean, he's like, and there was a lot of folks already right below the booth that were wanting to say hi to him, and I'm
0: like, wow. I'm like, yeah. I being, made a point. I made a point to watch that day because <laughs> uh, I wanted to see what was going to go on.
1: And it was against the Brewers, and basically, you know, they had already knew they weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. It was basically the final home game. And I'm like, I listened to it, and I'm like, wow, that's how a broadcaster go is supposed to go
0: out. The right Marty way. was Marty to me was just. Not only a great caller of a game, but fun, uh, cynical at times. <laughs> he just <laughs> always made me laugh, and and I told him that. I said that's one of your great talents. And
1: I will say this: Pat Hughes of the Cubs does pretty well for himself as well. When he had, of course, Ron Santo, who's no longer in the broadcast booth, but him and Ron Santo, and now him and Ron Coomer.
0: Yeah, they, there are a bunch of well, there are a bunch of really good ones on the major league level. Uh, the guys that have been there a while are there for a reason because they're really good. And in their community, they are the cat daddy. Yeah, Mike Shannon, John in
1: the Cardinal Radio Network. Gosh, he's about to go in the 16th year, I think, if my math is right. 15th Shannon, or 16th.
0: Yeah, Shannon's been there probably about 50. Yeah, he, I think
1: this is like his 40, what, 42nd, about to be in the booth for home games, I think. Yeah. Something like that, because he he worked with Jack Buck in 1975.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm like, what?
1: He worked with Jack Buck for 26 years? Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. Because most broadcast teams switch up after five. Maybe six, if you're lucky.
0: Not in St. Louis.
1: uh, Apparently not. Because apparently it was... Harry Carey and Jack Buck forever. Then it was Jack Buck and Mike Shannon forever, and then Mike Shannon rotated through some guys with the current television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans, Joel Myers, who also has the one of the best pipes of God. And I still, <laughs> I still like him on radio better on Sunday Night Football. If I do say so myself, thank you. Him and Bob Trumpy. Sorry, yeah, wow. there, there was just some. There's just something about. A Sunday, a Joel Myers game on a Sunday night when he did the call. It was just nothing like it. And of course, the, yeah. great, and of course the late great Harry Callis and a guy that's still the voice of the Bellicans also joined him, joined Mike Shannon on the Cardinal Broadcast and Bob Ramsey, who has been the voice of the Bellicans for ever. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. John Reed, yeah. John Reed came in 06 and he had Wayne Hagen for a brief period. Was on the Rockies broadcast with Jeff Kingery, and I'm like, "Oh boy." Well, you—I mean, you just knew when you went around the radio dial with baseball and things like that, there was prof- there was professionalism across the radio dial. The late Ernie Harwell with the Tigers. I mean, you tell me. Am well, I wrong?
0: No, I—I I, I mean, I'm with you. The baseball guys that you're talking about were. I mean they they're the guys that made radio great. You know, you, you and I share a love of of in the summer being two people that would flip the radio dial around. WSB, oh.
1: Skip Carey, Pete Victorian, and Joe Simpson, Don Sutton, most of the times they'd rotate. But they it was still it was still the same four broadcast crew. I know you remember back when it was a five person crew with Ernie Johnson. Who would who would bring a Skip Carry and a Pete Van into the broadcast family? At that yeah, point, pretty amazing stuff. <coughs> I even went back and caught a John, a St- couple of John Sterling radio highlights too.
0: Sure, the, like, the night of Rick Camp's homer, um, Sterling the is call. the one who did the call in the, uh, I guess the bottom of the eighteenth inning,
1: something like that. It, it, they didn't even now I. The reason why I remember that is because I went back in the YouTube wormhole and they had broadcast calls of almost every brand's game, with a few exceptions with the Barty Bernamans of the world. And I think, I can't remember who the other guy was, but there was a lot of MLB guys in the 80s where they'd have like the musical soundtracks of the 80s and they'd get to a certain point of music, cut the music off, and then the actual had the play by play of the respective teams. And like, OK, that whole lot of Atlanta Braves, though, with Pete Van and Skip Carey, John Sterling. Um, I think Ernie Johnson was still there at the time. I think it was like a four person booth, but it really wouldn't be. Yeah. You didn't have you didn't have Joe Simpson and Don Sutton until what later?
0: They They were late 80s coming in there.
1: Yeah, because I know Sterling went to the Yankees in 89. And he's had that job for 23 years.
0: About Luther, years 23rd year. I've got to stop this. I've gotten a phone call from a relative that I have oh. got to take.
1: Well, even though we had some technical snappers, hopefully when we get a chance to do this again, hopefully in the new year, hopefully we'll be on the right path to hopefully getting this thing under control and I can... We can all get back to doing our, getting back to working on our crafts, hopefully, at some point.
0: Amen. I hope. Listen, Merry Christmas to you and your family and to all the listeners.
1: Same to you. Thank
0: you, sir. And thanks for the time. Absolutely. Luther, take care. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.